This is a little different than what we normally do um, at Murray Hills. Normally on our podcast, we just post the sermons from uh, the following weekend. Uh, But we've got something uh, special happening at Murray Hills, uh, something that um, our lead pastor, Russ Adcox, prepared. Um, It's a new resource um, that we're excited about. And we just wanted to come on here and talk about it because we've had a lot of people ask questions about it and we've had some interest and we just thought what a cool way um, to continue the conversation or to introduce you to the conversation. Um, So I've got a couple people sitting on a couch um, with me, uh, Russ and Ebony, and if you're a member of Murray Hills, you know who these people are, but if not, if you're just checking in for the first time, we just want to introduce ourselves, maybe talk a little bit about our backgrounds, and then uh, we'll get into the book. Yeah, yeah. I'll jump in first. Um, And the reason I wanted to talk about our backgrounds is because uh, we're talking about this book, Reconsidered, which is about women's role in the church, and our background largely influences what we believe the scriptures say about that. And we'll talk more about that in this podcast. But first, the introduction. I, I'm Russ Adcox, and I'm the lead pastor of Murray Hills. I've been here for 17 years, and my background is in the churches of Christ. I grew up in uh, a little town of Hornwald, Tennessee, and I grew up in Church Christ there, went to Lipscomb University and Harding University, and landed at uh, at Murray Hills several years ago, and it's it's been an incredible journey. Wonderful. I am Ebony Lovely, and I'm the online and discipleship pastor here at Murray Hills, and I've been here for almost four years, um, which is really amazing. Uh, my background is non-denominational. I'm from Delaware, up north, um, and grew up until I was about 13 in a black Baptist church. So my um, experience with women in ministry is very different than those of the Church of Christ background. So I'm excited to jump into to that in just a little bit. Yeah, and in case you don't recognize my voice, I'm Scott Utter. I also, similarly to Russ, um, have a, a Church of Christ background. Uh, we've been part of many, uh, many churches from the time I was a child. Um, I went to Freed Hardeman University and then to Lipscomb University. So while we are a non-denominational church, much like Russ and many other people, um, I speak the language of the Church of Christ. And then also, uh, you know, this issue particularly um, is, uh, you know, it's an interesting one. And so to have maybe a guide as we explore scripture and as we answer these questions has been very helpful to me. And um, I don't know, I, I, I think it'll be really helpful to a lot of people. Uh, Russ, if you'll let me say something really quick. Um, yeah. I don't think uh, you knew this. Um, I don't think you knew this until recently, but um, before I came on staff at Murray Hills and I even knew who you were, I had a friend several years ago, around the time you preached a series about this topic I just had questions and you just happened to be preaching these messages and so the friend just forwarded um, the material to me which was super helpful and um, so I knew a little bit about you before I even met you super creepy that I never even mentioned that but and now I'm doing it on a podcast but yeah well and that's kind of where that's where the book started was with Mm -hmm. that sermon series I never intended for it to become a book it's it it's funny, I've, I've always dreamed of writing a book, and I finally wrote one, and it was on women's role in the church. So that was the, the last topic I ever thought I would write a book on, but it just kind of happened 
organically. I mean, it was the we did the sermon series and people still had questions and I would always refer them back to the material that was on our website a long time. And then the material got so old, I thought, I don't even know if I agree with myself anymore, what I said in 2010. So we did a refresher class and it just kept, people just kept encouraging, like, man, it'd be good to have this in, in some type of form, book form, where we could access the materials. And so that's, that's what I ended up doing was putting that together. But the background conversation is so interesting to me, and that's why I'm glad we got this this varied uh, background here. Just, I I, I would kind of like to start, if it's okay, just talking about kind of what the churches we grew up in, what they were like in regards to women's role, and because um, there may be folks familiar with Church Christ mm-hmm. or not familiar with it, and of course within the Baptist Church or within non-denominational churches. So I'm going to start with you, Ebony. What what was the, the church you grew up in? What was women's participation like in the assembly? Um, my mother actually was the one of the first female evangelists that were invited into that congregation. So um, we started attending that church when I was like five, and so yeah. from my earliest memory, women were always a part of the congregation. Women were able to preach from the stage and were given, um, you know, equal authority in the church. Okay. And so my. Yeah. Um, and I had been working in churches in the South for probably 10 years, but I was in children's ministry. And so I never, you know, that's where women are supposed to be, right? That's yeah, one of the uh, accepted roles, right? yeah, yeah. So I never got any pushback on my role. There, mm-hmm. So I never really even knew um, that women in leadership was a thing, honestly, until my first day at Murray Hills. <laughs> and you became a big part of the story, which we'll get to, mm-hmm. because you were the... Uh, the first pastor, I'm using air quotes right now, but the first, <laughs> and the reason I'm doing that is because you weren't the first woman to speak mm-hmm. uh, right. on stage here at Murray Hills. You were probably the third, but um, the others had some other background. You know, one right. was a counselor, one had written a book, mm-hmm. but when you spoke, people were like, wait a minute, she's a pastor. Wait, she's a preacher. What? Whoa, yeah. she's really preaching. So that, that created a little bit of controversy, mm-hmm. right. uh, and that was part of what prompted this book as well. So... <laughs> So I'm glad you're in the room for this conversation. And so, Scott, I want to ask you, I know the answer to your question yeah. because we grew up in the same background, but I'm going to ask it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was women's participation in the assembly, what was that like in the churches of your childhood? I mean, sit in the pew and sing when the song yeah. leader is leading, listen. You know, it was you could lead a group of children. You could teach a class, um, but... Up until a certain age. Up until an age, I think. Ours was fifth grade. Fifth grade? In the church I grew okay. up in. Fifth That's grade. when they became accountable at Russell's a woman, church. A woman, I wish you could see Ebony's facial expression, but <laughs> a woman could teach men or women yeah. up until fifth grade, and after fifth grade, yeah. only men could teach men. And, yeah. Uh, or only only men could teach women, men and women, and only mm-hmm. women could teach women. That right. Was the, that was the rule. That was about it. Yeah, that's yeah. my memory. Like, um, they could only teach children or women could teach women and they could have their own special gatherings, but a man could not be present um, if that was happening. And it used to blow my mind because there were so many like amazing godly women in the room. Even as a child, it just didn't compute. Like why can't these amazing people with incredible hearts for the Lord, why can they not teach or um, share or do, yeah. even pass a communion tray. Um, we just weren't allowed 
in uh, in my tradition to do that. Yeah, and there's reason why. I mean, they they there's some scriptures they point sure. to. So if somebody's listening with uh, you know one of those backgrounds right now, they're kind of screaming at the at the podcast <laughs> like, "There's a reason in the Bible it yeah. says." You know, so there are passages in First Corinthians and and First Timothy specifically that mm-hmm. give us reason to pause. But my background was the very same way. Um, women had no participation in the assembly, so they didn't uh, lead prayers, um, sing from the stage, uh, certainly didn't preach or teach. And it wasn't got, a stage. No, it was a pulpit. No pulpit. Yeah, they yeah. certainly didn't preach or teach, and. Didn't even pass communion, which was a silent role, but women didn't pass communion, uh, didn't do announcements or anything. I say in the book, it was probably, I was probably in my 20s before I heard a woman pray publicly. Mm -hmm. And I was probably in my 30s by the time I heard a woman preach. Mm -hmm. And um, that obviously has a big impact on the way we view the issue. That's why I think it's so important. There's people that come in, and this is why I preached it in 2010. There's people coming into Murray Hills from backgrounds where women had full um, equality with, with men in the assembly, and they're scratching their head going, wait a minute, why do you not allow women to do this? And then there's folks coming from other more conservative backgrounds. The churches of Christ are not the only one that, that limit the participation of women. The Baptists uh, have similar views a lot of times. And the churches of God, some of them, have similar views. Presbyterian uh, Church of, there's two different Presbyterians, let me think. It's the, it's the PCA would have the more conservative view than the PUSA. The PUSA would have full ordination of women. The P, PCA would say no. Um, but, there, you know, it's, churches are just all across the board. And Murray Hills is a very interdenominational church. I mean, we're non-denominational now, but it started because there were so many different backgrounds here. Mm-hmm. And you get together in a small group and people start asking questions like, well, why do we do it this way and why? And we had to admit early on that a lot of our practices were not based on what we thought the Bible said, but based on our tradition. Like this church started mm-hmm. as a church of Christ. So we came from a church Christ background all the elders of the church came from a church Christ background. And so there were a lot of things that we did just out of tradition. I mean, if you would ask us in 2021 when the church started, do you think it's wrong for a woman to pass communion? We would have said, no way. No, they could pass communion. There's nothing that would limit them from doing that. But they didn't do it because we just kind of carried over that tradition. Whatever tradition we had got carried over into the future. And um, I think there's a lot of, you know, when it comes to a difficult issue like this, and we say, well, how do we understand what the Bible says? Well, we understand the, what our parents and our grandparents told us the Bible said about it. And we haven't really taken the time for ourselves to dig in mm-hmm. and determine whether or not that's true. Mm-hmm. And that's on both sides. For, so if, if I grew up in a, a pretty limited view of women, I never took the time to dig in and go, is that really what the Bible says? And then on Ebony, if you grew up with a very open view of women, you know, take the time and go, is that really what the Bible says? You know, is that really... Mm-hmm where the answer lies there. I think it's just fascinating the, how that affects the way we interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard. I go into some of that in the book about the difference between exegesis and hermeneutics and all of that kind of big stuff. But, it, you know, we got to apply principles of good biblical mm-hmm. interpretation and not just take whatever our tradition is mm-hmm. and say, well, that was right. I mean, there's sincere Bible-believing Christians on both sides of the issue. Totally. And yeah. that's what makes it... Uh, that's what makes it difficult to talk about. Is I mean, this is it's not a it's not a uh, an issue where it's just crystal clear in the Bible. This is what the Bible says about it. I mean, there 
there really are sincere believers on both sides that see the issue differently. Uh, you mentioned uh, hermeneutics and exegesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mentioned hermeneutics and exegesis um, as a discussion in your book. So for those who don't have a theological background that are listening to the podcast, can you kind of go into that a little further? Yeah, yeah, big, big fancy Mm-hmm. theological words, but um, I'll try to explain them here. Ex- exegesis is just simply uh, trying to determine the historical context of, of the text. So it's, it's a question of what did the Bible say then? There was an original audience that it was written to. With all of these texts we're dealing with with women's role, um, there was an original author and there was an original audience and the text was written for an original purpose. Mm-hmm. So exegesis is the task of trying to go back and discover what was the historical context, what was the literary context, why was Paul saying what he said to that congregation in that day and time. Hermeneutics is the other side of that and it's taking it forward to today and saying what is the meaning today? What is the meaning for us today? And the rule is you always good exegesis determines good hermeneutics. Right. You don't get it backwards. Mm-hmm. So we always read the Bible to say, what did it say to them in their day and time? And then what does it say to us? Because it can never say to us what it never said to them. And a lot of times when we interpret the Bible or we read the Bible, we'll, we'll read a verse and go, oh, this is talking about something mm-hmm. in modern times. But you got to go back and discover mm-hmm. that historical context. Um, we have to. One of the things that really jolted me with women's role was realizing that our modern assembly doesn't look a whole lot like the New Testament assembly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just doesn't. I mean, I, I don't think in the New Testament you had a single speaker standing on stage lecturing for a length of time and people in rows, and it was about an hour. And those. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it probably looked early in the church. It probably looked a whole lot more like small groups or house churches. Yeah. And and when you think about women's participation in those settings versus in a more uh, institutional or organized religion type setting, it's very different. Like Mm -hmm. in our small groups, we probably wouldn't even think about it if a woman led a prayer in a small group or if a woman was serving food in a small group. We wouldn't even Mm -hmm. think, oh, that's not appropriate. But the way church is kind of institutionalized, it started to have this very different feel to it. And so then we did start to make some rules about it. So I think that's what that's a long, long answer to your question. But it's it's going back and trying to understand what did it say to them. That's really good. So Russ, can you talk about like why you wrote this book now in Murray Hill's history? Can you just talk about the background of Murray Hills and then maybe how we got to this yeah. point? Yeah, let me uh you know, Murray Hills was a well Let's back up just a little bit, and let's talk about the two different... The Broadly, there's two different views of women's role, complementarian and egalitarian. And that's, again, we're introducing two big words. Uh, Complementarian is the view that there are complementary roles for men and women, that, but they're different. They're different roles for men and women, but they complement each other. And uh, so in complementarian churches, like the Churches of Christ, they would say... There are roles for men and there are roles for women. And they're not, you know, it's not demeaning that a woman can't stand up and speak, but that is the specifically the role of a man. And they would go to 1 Timothy and, and to 1 Corinthians to, to justify that. Mm-hmm. In egalitarian churches, which sounds like your background, Ebony, they would say there's full equality for men and women. So any, uh, the roles are equal. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. So, you know, anybody could stand up and teach in the church. And they would appeal to Galatians 3, primarily. You know, there's neither 
um, slave nor free, mm-hmm. male nor female, Jew nor Greek, mm-hmm. but all are one in Christ Jesus. And mm-hmm. so they would appeal to verses like that. And so Murray Hills was a complementarian church. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a lot of aspects we still are. We'll mm-hmm. talk about our position. But we were a complementarian church, and we had very, very limited role of women in our assembly. And that, I mean, that women would sing on a praise team. Women could do announcements. Women could serve as ministry leaders. Uh, they probably prayed in small groups and led worship in small groups, but that, that was about it. They, they, Which they, was really far from where uh, yes. I had been, right? And you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were more open to women's participation, but it was still, before 2010, it was still pretty limited. There was not mm-hmm. anything that happened in the assembly other than maybe an announcement sure. might be done by a woman. Um, and so our elders determined to study that because we'd admitted for years that some of our tradi- ba- uh, practices were based on tradition and some of our practices were based on Scripture. Mm-hmm. But we'd never really taken the time to study it. And we had an elders retreat in 2009. And we took uh, big pieces of paper, like those big sticky note mm-hmm. easel pads, and we wrote down every possible quote-unquote rule about women's role that we could think of, whether it, we thought it was biblical, tradition, whatever, cultural. We wrote down every rule regarding the role of women in the church. And then we took a red marker and a green marker and marked which ones of those do we think are cultural and traditional and which ones of those do we think are scriptural. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that conversation, it was like it was a sea of red. Like most of our practices were cultural and traditional, not scripture driven. Mm-hmm. And we said, what? We need to study this. And so we entered into a study together as a leadership about these passages and came to some different conclusions um, than what our church was currently practicing. So then the elders said, well, we need to teach the church about this. We never set out to change our practices. That was not the intention. The intention was just, we need to study this. This is an mm-hmm. issue in the Bible we need to study. And so we did it. I I preached on it for seven or eight weeks, which is crazy to think about now. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would ever consider doing a seven to eight week women's role series now. But seven or eight weeks, and our small groups went through it, and the whole church studied it. And at the end of that conclusion, it was just very clear that it was time for us to change some of our practices. Mm -hmm. And uh, we stood up, one of our elders stood up two weeks after that and and said, we're changing our position at Murray Hills, uh, and we believe that we have limited the role of women in some ways that the Bible doesn't limit, and we're going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we said we, we believe a woman can serve in any capacity of the church except the role of elder, and we believe that a woman could, could participate in any activity of the assembly, including preaching and teaching. And so we're going to change our practices at Murray Hills. Mm-hmm. But it took us nine years to do that. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's a long time. So we... Uh, Shortly after that announcement, women started leading prayers or you know, providing a communion meditation or those things. It took us nine years before we had a woman preach on the stage, though. Mm-hmm. How was it taking the whole church through the series? It seems like it would mm-hmm. be better than just standing and preaching a sermon and saying, this is what we're doing. But having everybody walk through it together, like you're mm-hmm. preaching a sermon and then they're thinking through it on their own, it seems like a a process to help everybody kind of 
yeah. and think through it. Yeah, it, I think the mistake that some churches make is sometimes the leadership gets out ahead of the congregation and the leadership says, hey, it's time to change our view of women, and they just get up and make an announcement, and it's a surprise to the congregation. <laughs> right. And, you know, you Scott, Scott's laughing because how would that go over in, in the churches we grew up in? It ain't going over. And so we've always, anytime we've made a change, we've tried to, to do that, mm-hmm. like step through it together as a congregation. And having the small groups meet about it was a major risk because they may all get together and go, I don't believe anything he's preaching. You know, all the small groups. But we invited the small groups to have those conversations. Yeah. And um, we even had a thing where we had elders available during the series if anybody just wanted to come talk, like somebody just wanted to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Nobody took us up on that. We didn't have anybody actually take take us up on that. But they did. The small groups did meet. And uh, it once we made our decision of what we're going to do and we announced that, we tried to do that with as as, just as much grace as possible. And but we still had some people that left over it. We had a small group leader that led us, went with us through the whole thing, mm-hmm. and uh, participated in all the small groups and all the studies. And at the end, they said, I, "I didn't come to the same conclusion that you came to, and I just can't, in good faith, be a part of this congregation anymore." Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, we lost a small group leader as we went through that transition, mm-hmm. and uh, but it it was still a healthy thing to do because it it. it you know, iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. and that that was what happened during that series because people would then, I would teach something, and then people would ask questions, mm-hmm. and people would say, well, what about this, and what about this, and then we'd have to go back and do some more study, and we'd have to talk about this, and I think it was a, a healthy way to do it. It was, it was a long process, but it was a healthy way to do it. Yeah, so you mentioned that between the sermon series and you actually having a female pastor preaching on the stage, it took nine years to do that. Why do you think it took that long or reasoning behind it? We were scared. <laughs> that's yeah. there's that's the only partial truth. Uh, I mean, but it, no, it really what it was was we thought like we felt that uh, there was a place we were theologically, but we also knew that our church was processing this and growing along at the same time. And we wanted to give people time to to do that, to process that. I mean, for some, it was a big step when a woman started praying in the assembly. That was a big, big step. And it took a while for people to get adjusted to that and comfortable with that. And even even women, I'm talking men and women, there was men that were uncomfortable with it because they hadn't heard it before. But there were women that would say, I'm just not comfortable doing that. I've never done it before. And in one sense, that's heartbreaking for me as a father of two daughters. I want my daughters to hear female voices in the church. Yeah. I, I want them to hear... Uh, female leaders te- teaching and preaching and you know praying and leading us in communion. I want them to see that and to know that that's that's something they could do. Um, but it took a while to get to preaching because that was the that was the big one. Like there was there was folks that felt like, well, I could see where a woman could could lead in uh, some of these other areas, but preaching. You know, there's that verse in Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Mm -hmm. And that was the big, that's where a lot of folks draw the line. And there's a lot of complementarian churches that draw the line. That Mm -hmm. a lot of Baptist or now Church of Christ churches or maybe even Presbyterian churches Mm -hmm. that would say, oh yeah, we have women pray in the assembly. We have women lead our worship in the assembly, Mm -hmm. but we do not have women preachers. So that, and and it's primarily because of 1 Timothy. Um, so it just took us a while 
it was it was more just being patient with each other and being patient with ourselves to get to that point. So that whole process, it seems like it would have been um, a, a very shaky ground. What mistakes do you think, Murray Hills, or even if you want to pin it on yourself, I don't know. Like, what mistakes were made during all of this, if any? Well, I think one of, one of them was we weren't super clear, I think, on that when it came to preaching, teaching, that aspect of it. Like we said early on, mm-hmm. our statement was that we believe a woman could participate in any activity of the assembly, including preaching and teaching. But then we didn't do it for nine years. And so as all that time passed, when we started having women preach and teach, because we felt the church was ready for it, there were some people that felt kind of blindsided by that. Mm-hmm. There were some people like, wait a minute, I, I thought a woman couldn't preach in our church. Didn't that, isn't that what our position said? And I, I actually, with some, I had to go back and send them the sermon, the text of the sermon from yeah. 2010 and go, no, I did say it in 2010, but... Um, I, I wish I would have done a little, a little better job of leading the church through that second part of the transition, mm-hmm. okay. which we did, we did a lot of um, leading the church through the first part. In the second part, it just kind of happened, mm-hmm. and that shocked some folks. Sure. Um, yeah. And so that was, you know, it's, nobody, nobody likes to be surprised. Mm-hmm. They like to know where we're going here. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was one of the mistakes. The other one might have been just waiting so long to do it. I mean, it's like leading a church is so difficult because you're scared. You don't mm-hmm. want to lose members, you know, and it's it's not it's because you love those people. Absolutely. I mean, it's not because, you know, yeah. I don't want to have you know it's the numbers and those things. It's like I've been doing life with these people and church with these people and we love these people. And we don't want to introduce controversy into the church. We don't want to introduce conflict into the church. Um, but at some point you have to ask you know are we are we really following what we believe god's word says about this mm-hmm. and so you know i think we took a long time to do it and and then took a long time to make the change and there were some pros and cons to that but the the con we probably lost some people yeah. uh, throughout that process that were hungry for more participation of women one thing that i love so much about this church is its willingness to address very challenging topics and and talk about them openly um, and be willing to change uh, course correct. So I really appreciate this resource. I really appreciate all the time and effort and the many years it's taken uh, to get to where uh, we are. Um, Appreciate your leadership through that, Russ. I'm I'm wondering, what do you hope um, anyone who picks up this book, what are you hoping for that person? Well, the book was written really for folks that were where we were as a church mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago or 11 years ago. I mean, it's really written mm-hmm. for the people that have been wrestling with the view of women in the church. Maybe, I, I guess the best way to put it is it's it's written to complementarians. It's mm-hmm. not written to egalitarians. <laughs> egalitarians would probably be frustrated that I don't, I don't speak hard enough or fast <laughs> enough in this book. Yeah. And... Um, they're like, you know, you, you, you soft pedal everything. You know, it's really a book written for complementarians who are trying to understand if that's what the Bible truly says. Maybe they're uncomfortable with the practices in their church right now or think their practices are too limiting to women and they're trying to understand how they can change that. Or maybe they're at a church that's going through that change and it, they're uncomfortable with those changes and they're seeing more women's participation and going, but wait a minute, what doesn't the Bible say something about that? That's who it's really written to. And so... 
My main objective is I hope there's more understanding, even if they don't agree with my conclusions. Even if somebody reads a book and goes, no, I just don't agree with that. I hope there's at least understanding that it is a legitimate way of interpreting the Bible. It's yeah. not, I'm not, we're not just out there cherry picking verses and, and right. just drawing ideas out of the air and going, we don't like what the Bible says about this, so we're going to do this. Um, it is trying to stay true to scripture, but that's my real hope is that there's understanding whether they change their view or not. Guys, thank you so much, Russ. Thank you, Ebony, um, for, for taking time. Uh, out of your busy schedules to just sit down and, and talk about this today. Um, answered some of my questions uh, for sure, because I'm always curious about you know how we arrive where we are. And so this has been really helpful. I'm excited about this book. Russ, can you tell how to get the book, even if they don't attend Murray Hills? Yeah, yeah, it's available on Amazon. Uh, that's the easiest way to get it, is just if you'll search Reconsidered Russ or Russ Adcox. I don't think there's any other authors on Amazon with my name. So mm. it, that's the easiest way to get it. If you want it through the church, you can email us and we'd be happy to mail you a copy. Or we do have copies at the church uh, if you if you attend Murray Hills. And how much of a cut are you getting on all of these books? I'm assuming. <laughs> I think I'm making a whopping 50 cents off what's sold on Amazon. So this is like a get rich quick scheme that I'm doing. The, the book's only eight bucks. It's a it's a quick read. You can read it in one or two sittings. Uh, you could run it like through a small group. I mean, it's written with discussion questions at the end, that kind of stuff. But it, it's eight bucks and I priced it that way because I really just want people to read it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not making any money off this thing. I just want people to read it. And so it, I just wanted it to be a resource to the church.